Hello, everybody out there. This is your favorite pastor, Iris. Liz, I still hope I'm your favorite pastor. I've been saying it all week. We have got to find something new to say. Well, I think we've got something new to say today. And we've got Pastor Luke Bardi in the studio with us. Hi, Luke. Hi there, Iris. Thanks Hi, for having me on today. Ah, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, we're just uh, making the most of the situation we're in right now um, and seeking God for the next season that's coming. Oh, that's exciting. I think the next season is going to be really exciting. Yeah, me too. I was just had a little thing on my mind I just want to just share. You know, we need a lot of love in the world, don't we, right now? And I've got something here that somebody sent me, and actually it's our old retired pastor. He's quite old. He's older than me, getting on into his 90s move at that end. But uh, he writes some lovely stuff. And he's written here, one love, one mind, and one accord. And he's talking about the Philippians 2, verse 2. Fulfill my joy being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And I believe that's where Christians need to be these days that just that one mind that mindset and that was Paul's desire for the Christians of, of uh, Philippi Paul's letter to them indicates that they were a happy people a joyful church in fact the key word in the letter is rejoice it is used in each of the four chapters Paul commends them for their love both to the Lord and to him he encourages them to grow even more in the things that he commends them, to, you know, commends them to do or commends them for. And Paul wrote this from his prison cell. He, he said thanks. He sort of thanks them for their support and for their love and their prayers and their gifts. And he moves on in chapter two with a word of encouragement to be united in their fellowship. Maybe he has heard that although it is a generous church, there are areas of weakness he encourages them to have then the same love to be of one accord and to have the same mind so I believe that this is the desire of every one of us as Christians even non-Christians even where there is a great sense of unity we pray for more we are we are of course united in Christ we are one in him. It is the day to day, week to week, year by year, working out of this in practical terms that it's not so easy. However, as Paul says, if you have found comfort, love and fellowship because you belong to Christ, then make me really happy by having the same love, be in one accord and have the same desires or, as he puts it, of, same, of the same mind. How can we, as a vibrant, Christ-loving, spirit-filled fellowship of people, grow more and more into the great ideal that Paul is promoting here? Surely, by being obedient to what God, or God's word, tells us. Not giving up meeting together, as some, as some are in the habit of doing. We're rather forced at the moment to keep apart. But we can get together on Zoom and, um, and other ways, telephone, etc. But encouraging one another, that's really important at this time, especially. 
And all the more as you see the day approaching, Hebrews 10, 25 sort of refers around that. So let's give God the glory for what he has done, is doing, and will continue to do, fitting us together so that we grow into that holy dwelling place in the Lord, a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Amen. Be blessed. So that's our word. You know, we just try and spread more and more love around the world, and that's really what is needed. So... Luke, you, were t you know, it's really great to have you on the program. We've, we've been sort of hanging out for, for months, really, and, and not getting to the point where we're actually meeting. And, and I think this is, it's really lovely um, you know, to have you on here finally and to get you captured because I know you've got a story to tell. And, and that's what <laughs> I just like to hear, you know, something to cheer them up on how God works and the results of that. So. Just go ahead and share with the lovely people what is yeah, on the heart. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Iris. And, uh, you know, everybody has a story to tell, like you just said there. Um, and I, I encourage, I'm an evangelist, uh, and I, I encourage everybody listening that you've got a story to tell. Uh, and I'm going to tell you a bit of my story today. Um, but it will be great if you can just feel inspired by it and, and, and inspired to go and tell your story. It doesn't matter if you've been in church all your life. It doesn't matter if you've only just recently come to Jesus. You can tell your story to people around the world. And just as Iris said, you know, sometimes with the, the COVID, you might be in that situation where you're locked down. But um, we're doing more evangelism now through Zoom, through Facebook, through social media. You know, through we, we got, um, let me just tell you this testimony quick, Iris. Um, we got a text message came through to our phone. Um, and we didn't have a clue who this person was. And it turns out the person had accidentally texted our phone at home. They, they didn't know us from anything. And they was trying to get hold of their mother that they'd not spoken to for five years. And he found out she was in hospital with COVID-19 oh. and really struggling. Oh. So I'm thinking of all the people to text He's texted a Christian evangelist who's not afraid to share his faith. So we begin to, over text, me and my wife begin to share with this man um, about Jesus. And we, we, we said we will pray for his mother and pray for the relationship to be restored. And the very day that we did that, he managed to get hold of his mom and start restoring the relationship. And we're waiting on to find out what's happened with his mom because she was very severely ill in the hospital. But um, we were sending him scriptures to pray over his mom. And this guy's not much, wasn't much of a Christian or anything like that, really. And he, he accidentally messaged us. But let me tell you, I'm only sharing this story because we got an accidental text message. You can make a purposeful message and text it to a friend, a family member who's maybe not saved and just say, hey, I'm thinking of you right now in this lockdown and I want to pray for you and I want to spend time with you and it'd be great to chat on the phone or over Zoom, just tell you a bit more about Jesus. You know, you can still witness and tell your family members and friends about Jesus in the midst of lockdown. Yeah. I just felt I needed to share that, Iris. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, brilliant, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. nothing can stop us in this lockdown season and, and you know, We've all been in a lockdown season before this season. The devil had us locked down for many years. And my story began as a young child, really. I was brought up in church 
And very quickly, as I was getting to my um, like 11, 12 year old, I began to become rebellious. I began to stop um, being in love with God. Um, I, I knew the scriptures inside out, but I didn't know the author correctly. And the devil began to lock me down in religion. I, I, you know, I was more interested in being able to quote the scriptures because it was a family run church and, and it looked impressive. There was a lot of pride coming up inside of me um, about how much I knew about the scriptures, but I didn't actually know God myself. So that led me down a path that wasn't very good. So when I got to school, I wanted to be the popular guy, to be popular, I had to go along with the crowd, to go along with the crowd, that meant I had to drink, that meant I had to get in trouble with, um, in school, that meant, you know, we, we were becoming violent and angry young men. Now, as you'll see, Iris, the viewers won't, I've got nice long hair now, but when I was in my rebellious state, I had skinhead, um, and when I hit 16, I had a little scooter, and I thought I was the best thing since sliced bread. I had so much pride in me. I was what you would call a wannabe gangster. I was not a gangster, but I was a wannabe gangster. And it was not really very good. Um, and growing up in Yorkshire, you had to have a bit of toughness about you. You, you had to be robust. You had to be able to take a bit of um, um, banter, they call it in Yorkshire and other parts of the country. And um, yeah, so I brought up in that, I was playing rugby. Um, and, and I was just going off the rails. Um, I actually, uh, around the age 12, I got done for shoplifting um, in, in a big town centre. I got arrested by the police. My parents had to come and um, take, me away, take me from the prison back home. And that was the longest drive home ever. You know, my dad didn't speak to me all the way home. In fact, it was about 11 o'clock when I came in. And back in that day, because we was quite young, um, bedtimes for all my brothers and sister um, was eight o'clock and they was all still up. So I knew I was in very serious trouble if everyone was staying up. I got sent straight up to my room and that was a changing point. I said to myself right then, I said, I'm never, ever going to get caught and arrested for the things I do. So I didn't stop doing the things I was doing. What I did, I became cleverer. I became more um, aware that you can get in trouble for things. So I stopped getting in trouble at school, stopped getting in trouble with the police and started doing any, everything hidden and very cautiously, but I was still in it. I, I began to start going to the nightclubs and the pubs. I began to start um, dabbling with drugs, just trying them out. In fact, the guys that I was hanging about with, they were low level drug dealers and they were dealing in the drugs. And many a times there was a lot of surveillance connected to that. At this point, I was very, very ashamed of what I was doing. I was going home and I remember one particular time I looked myself in the mirror and knowing what I know about the scriptures, I said, God, how have I done this? Am I demonized? Have, have I got a demon in me? I was terrified that I couldn't believe that my parents had bring me up this way and for me just to turn around and, and sort of just tell God to get lost. Now, what I would tell you in this season, even though I was in a difficult time, there was people handing out leaflets at the, outside the nightclub saying that God loves them. And I remember my friends mocking them. And I said, don't mock them. God's real. God is genuinely real. And they said, yeah, we know you go to church. We know you do all that sort of stuff. But at, at the end of the day, you, uh, you, you're doing what, what we're doing. Uh, why are you interested in defending that? I said, because I do know God's real. Um, I'm just rebelling at this moment in time. 
So I want to fast forward. I can go into a lot more depth about what I'll get up to. I was a cheeky chap when I was younger and that got me out of a lot of trouble, but I was still doing the things I shouldn't have been. Um, so we fast forward a little bit. Um, this period of time, I would just want to make it clear, it lasted for between a year to a year and a half. So praise the Lord, it wasn't a long period of time I was rebelling. But I'm in a nightclub in um, Rotherham Town Centre, a very well-known one. It's actually where the Rotherham United football stadium is now. It got knocked down and they've got the foot, new football stadiums up there now. It's actually a car park for there. Um, but I was in this club this one night with my friends and as clear as day, I hear um, God speak to me and he said, get out. Now, at that point, I thought it was a friend because it was like it was an audible voice. I thought it was a friend telling me to get out because there's trouble coming. There's something going to happen. There's going to be a fight. Someone's caught up with me. I didn't. I, so I just runs out of the nearest fire exit. I gets outside. I'm expecting everyone else to pile out and something to kick off. Um, but when I got out there, nobody followed. Nobody came out of the door. I goes around the corner to the front of the nightclub. It's early hours of the morning, maybe two, three o'clock. I didn't know exactly. So everyone's already inside. And there's a couple of bouncers on the door. That's it. I'm, I'm a bit perplexed. I'm a bit confused right now. I've just heard someone tell me to get out. They're messing me around. And in that moment, I hear the voice again. Nobody else around. I've not took any weird drugs that make my head go mashy or anything like that. I'd not really had much to drink, so I knew I wasn't drunk. And I hear this voice again. Luke, I'm not going to call you again. I want you to preach the gospel for me. Stop doing what you're doing. I knew from Sunday school, remembering when Samuel was called for the first time. Yeah. And he said, here I am. Here I am, speak to me. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if I was white as a ghost, but I can imagine all the color leaving me at that moment. The fear of God truly entered my life at that moment in time. And, I, and I, I, I rang for a taxi. I got in the taxi and just went. Obviously, I've got the text messages the next morning from the lads. Where have you been? You know, why did you just leave? And something came over me. And I just deleted every single one of them. And then they bumped into me. You know, I was at college at that time. They were bumping into me and, and, and saying, you're not replying to my text. I said, no, I, I'm really sorry. God's spoken to me. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I've got to preach the gospel for him. And I said, what you want about? You don't even, you don't even really want to go to church anymore. I said, I do. I said, I don't know how this works, but God's called me to do something for him, to preach for him. And I can't carry on this. And I remember one of them, not all of them, but one of them said to me, and he was a sort of the ringleader. He said, Luke, I'm so glad even though I think you're bonkers, I'm so glad that you've got out of this. You, you never really fitted. You was too kind. You was too nice of a, a person to be in this. And, you know, make a life for yourself for us because we're going to end up either dead or in, in, in prison. So you do something with your life for all of us. And, and they let me go. I mean, they let me leave that gang, shall we call it. It wasn't a real gang. Or I wasn't initiated into any gang or anything, but... You know, it was the sort of unspoken thing. You don't just walk out and they just let me go. And, um, you know, I didn't know what to do after that. I'll be honest with you, Iris. I got to a point where 
I knew God spoke to me. I knew I couldn't do what I was doing, but I was still going to the same church, family church. I was still stuck in that same religious mindset, but I knew that I had to do something different. I even got to a point, Iris, where I was thinking of going back to it because I was still living in religion. But that fear that came upon me, that God wasn't going to call me again. This was my last chance. That fear of God was still in me. And that's what kept me sort of on the straight and narrow. I was yeah. still swearing. I was still lying. I was still cursing. I was still doing some stuff I shouldn't have been doing, but I was a work in progress. I was, I was sort of back on the right path. And I remember one night, my mum and dad, they ran the J team, Jesus team, a Tuesday night um, meeting um, at the family run church. And I, I was in there um, and um, I used to love the quiz. You got prizes. If you remember the memory verse, or that's most of the memories uh, and the scriptures that I can quote now are from, from childhood, from memorizing them. But uh, I did it for the wrong reason. I just wanted to win the prizes and, and save up my points for the tokens. But I remember doing it and enjoying these Tuesday nights. And one Tuesday night, my pastor had caught up with me, Iris. A group of guys came into the uh, church um, without exaggerating between 20 and 30. There could have been more, but I don't want to exaggerate the amount. They came in and one particular guy set about me. Now, the, the part of the story that I've not mentioned is growing up, I always felt unloved. I always felt even though I got the love from my parents, my dad worked so hard for me. I felt unloved. I, I, I felt a disconnect. In fact, I used to question, am I adopted? I mean, if you saw me and my family, I, I've got the same looks and everything. I'm 100% not adopted. But I felt like it. There was I don't know if it was the enemy, but I grew up feeling like I was unloved. And in that moment when these guys said about me, something happened. My dad stepped in and took out the guy who was trying to attack me, tackled him to the ground and pinned him down to stop him. And then all the other guys set about my dad and started kicking him, hitting him. And in that moment, I wanted to cry, but it'd been so long really before, since I'd cried, I didn't know what to do. I really didn't know how to react, but I felt that I was connected to my family again. God had restored in that moment a connection of, um, of, of love that my dad actually threw himself into the lion's den, shall we call it, to defend me. Yeah. And it did something, it broke something in me, it switched off this angriness inside of me. I, I became an angry and bitter person. But that moment there, it switched off the angriness because the lies that the devil had been sowing into my mind that I, I, was, I was the black sheep of the family because all the other family members, all my brothers, I had two other brothers and a sister, they were never really in trouble. They never got done for shoplifting. They weren't arguing with the parents like I were. Um, so I felt like the black sheep. But in that moment, I felt like I'm not the black sheep. The devil's been lying to me. My family loves me just the same. Anyway, all my family got involved and I, and I felt really bad that my past had caught up and my family were getting damaged. They managed to get everyone out the door and I did something, Iris, that I recommend nobody else does. I got outside and I went and I, I, I was so angry. I, I, the old me rose up. As much as I, I felt accepted with my family, I felt like these had disrespected it. And if you disrespect in the world I was in before, something had to happen. So I went out to start threatening. 
I didn't just threaten one of them. I threatened to fight every single one of them one-on-one until I'd finished them all. Praise the Lord, something happened in that moment. They all just laughed and didn't even entertain it because I'd have probably got beat to a pulp and put in a hospital that very night. But they let me go. I said, yeah, I thought not. I thought none of you wanted to fight fairly one-on-one. I got on my little 50cc scooter and started to drive. And for the first time in a long time, Iris, one tear just dropped down. I don't know what it was for. I don't, I don't know why I did it. Anyway, I'm driving around and I said, God, you've asked me to preach the gospel. You've asked me to leave all of my lifestyle behind. I've done it, but I still feel the same. I feel angry. I feel religious. I feel like, you know, I'm not really in love with you, God. I'm just doing it out of fear and out of duty for you. Anyway, as I'm driving along, I, um, I see the church is open. It didn't look like a traditional church. It looked like, like a building, but it had a church name on it. And I thought, okay, God, I've not seen any other churches open on this Tuesday night. So I'm going to go to this. I'm going to go inside this church. As I get nearer, I can hear drums going and, and like a guitar and loud music. And in my church, we still sang hymns and, you know, clapped his hands. And we had the hymn board with the numbers on so you could select what song you were singing and you knew the very order of the service. And I'm walking in, I'm thinking, this sounds quite trendy, you know, not quite the nightclub music, but it sent quite trendy, this music. And I've never heard drums played in the church before. So I walked in the back door um, and I, I sit right at the back. And uh, it very quickly came apparent to me, it was like a prayer meeting, prayer meeting with a difference. The guys in the prayer meeting are speaking in tongues. They're shouting out, Lord, we want revival. We want a, we want a breakthrough in this nation. And, and they, sent, they sent excited about being at church. And I'm like, what is this? This is something I've never seen before. Anyway, all of a sudden, someone pops their head up and gets at, uh, at the front and begins to speak a message. They began to preach the gospel message on repentance and turning and, and, and how much God loves you. And in that moment, he gave an altar call. I mean, I've never seen an altar call. I didn't know what that was. The only altar call I ever saw were on TV. Steve Hill used to give them. And I thought that was an American thing, not a UK thing. But this pastor, this leader, gave an altar call. And I, I found myself going to the front iris. Mm-hmm. I found myself kneeling. I didn't even know that was a thing. I'm kneeling. And then I'm laying and the flood of tears came upon me and I began to tremble and shake. I felt like uh, arms had been hugged around me, these warm, loving arms had embraced me. And all I kept hearing is, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And it broke something inside of my heart in that moment. Remembering it even now brings me to tears that somebody that I didn't even know, that I didn't even respect, that I turned my back on, could still love me and give me that love and that fulfillment like God did in that very moment. In that moment, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I got back up. I began to talk to people. I didn't really know them there at all. And I began to start going to their youth group on a Friday. I found out that that Tuesday night was a prayer meeting. And they never really preached the gospel. But the pastor, who I know very well now, called Peter Morris, he loved Steve Hill and he loved preaching the gospel. And he he 
preach the gospel because I, I, I was someone they didn't know. And he thought, if that's the only time we get to preach the gospel to this young man, I'm going to preach the gospel. And, and praise the Lord. I thank him that he did. And, and I switched. And some people might think this is awful, but I switched from my family church and I moved to this church. And I think my mom and dad were just happy. But I, Irish, something changed in that moment. I went home and I picked up my Bible. I began to read it in a fresh light. And I said, God, I need you to teach me the scriptures again. I began to start reading, not from the Gospels again, but from the book of Acts on how the church exploded, how miracles, signs and wonders was um, something that had to happen in the church. And I said, God, this is what you've called me to do. You've called me to lead people to you, to Jesus Christ, to tell them the good news that I've heard in, in, in this meeting. And I've heard the gospel preached and I made a response when I was six year old. But I think I met with the Holy Ghost in this moment as well. So I had God the Father, God the Son. And finally, you know, I even went home and said to my mom and dad, why don't you tell me about the Holy Spirit? He's so precious. He's filled me, showed me God's love. So I've been impacted with the fear of God at the nightclub. I've now been impacted with the love of God. I've now experienced the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit for the first time really in my life. So I'm excited. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying at every opportunity. At this point, I've got a job. Uh, I'm filling the freezers at Tesco's. Um, you know, at the local Tesco's, that was my job to fill up the freezer section. Quickly, I got promoted onto the security and then eventually I got security uh, promoted into the sales team side of things as a manager there. Um, and then my career went from there. But as I was filling the freezer, I started finding myself telling people in Tesco's that God loves them. You know, he's got a plan and a purpose for you. I found myself in Tesco aisles when customers were asking me um, where certain stuff was in the freezer. I'd show them, but I'd be telling them, I said, hey, um, can I just tell you something about Jesus? Can I just tell you about God? And I remember a moment in time um, when I told, um, I started just preaching the gospel on the streets. And Iris, I'll be honest with you, I probably preached the message totally wrong. I was telling them about hell and and hellfire and you're going to burn in hell. And I did all the wrong things to start with, but it was out of passion. And God could see that passion. And, and I, I, you know, I started to change tack. I think God started showing me through the scriptures that, yes, there's a hell um, and there is a heaven. But the good news is Jesus Christ has saved people. So God said, tell them the good news. Don't come with a, a sad, angry face. Come with a happy face that you've been rescued. So I started sharing my testimony, how God revealed himself to me. And I started telling them, you know, I was in a bad place and I was doing sinful things. And I, I, I was going to hell. But praise the Lord, Jesus came and rescued me from my pit and he can rescue you too. And I began to share in that way. And I started to see fruit. People was listening to me more. People was interacting with me more. And Surely over time, I was knocking on doors and they weren't slamming them in my face straight away anymore. Things were opening up. I began to get a bit more organized. Before I went out, I started to pray and say, God, lead me to the right doors, lead me to the right people, let people be home, let people give their hearts to Jesus. And then I started reading through the scriptures and saw many times before people give their heart to Jesus, he performed miracles and signs and wonders. And I said, Jesus, you've told me that I can see this. And your disciples and apostles saw that in the Bible. I want to see the same. Amen. You know, what, what's, you've called me to do it. You can't. 
I can't just go out half with the gospel. I've got to go with the full gospel. And if you want me to preach the gospel effectively, I've got to start seeing miracles. So I steps into it, you know, I've left my old life right now. You know, I'm not in contact with any of these guys that were a bad influence on me. I'm now around Christian people. I'm now around the youth leaders that just inputted the gospel into me, passionate about Jesus. I'm excited about what's ahead. Revival starts bursting on the inside. And I started praying for the sick iris in the street. I'd say, hey, you know, is there anything I can pray for? Yeah, I've got an headache. I'd pray for headaches and they'd turn into migraines, Iris. People got worse. I'd pray for someone who was not feeling very well. I'd find out they were dead the very next oh, week. I starts, get, I starts getting really upset at this point. I'm saying, God, I'm doing your work and there's no miracles happening. So I just started pushing in, pressing through. You know, the woman with the issue of blood, we read in the scriptures, she had to push through the crowd to, get a, uh, to receive a breakthrough. She just needed to touch the hem of the garment. In fact, the woman with the issue of blood, when we read in the scriptures, she actually had some of the major obstacles to overcome. Number one, she was a woman. There's nothing wrong with being a woman, but in them days, women were not as respected and didn't have the positioning um, in, in the community as what we do today, because the women have fought for them rights, and rightly so, you know. But this woman was in an era where women were, they had to be quiet. They had to stay to one side. They, they, they had to make the dinner. They had to do the dishes. They had to, you know, bring up the children. They weren't allowed to be, you know, disruptive in public. But this woman had an issue of blood. It says for 12 years, she spent all of the money. She, she'd seen the greatest physicians, which tells me she probably had some money behind her to be able to invest that sort of money to get help. And she couldn't get healed, but she was so desperate. She was so desperate to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. But because she was unclean, in them days, if you had an issue of blood and, 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 and it, it was like that, you was unclean. Now, Jesus was recognized as a prophet and a rabbi at that time. And you could definitely not go and touch a man. You could definitely not go and make a, a, a rabbi unclean. In them days, but she said, I need my miracle right now, and I'm going to push through to get my breakthrough. And that's exactly what she did. She went through the crowd, touched the hem of the garment, and it said something. This was very clear to me. She was trembling when Jesus asked, Who's touched the hem of my garment? Why was she trembling? Not because she'd been healed. She was afraid of the religious people of the time. And that was my first experience that religion kills and religion destroys a relationship with Jesus. You know, the people of them times would have judged her, but actually she received a miracle and she pushed through for a breakthrough. And some people who are listening to this today, you've been sick for some time now and I'm pushing through for your breakthrough. And I pray and I command that sickness to leave your body right now in the name of Jesus Christ. But I began to, Iris, push through to see breakthrough. So the headaches were getting worse. People were dying when I prayed for them. But I said, God, just like this woman with the issue of blood, I'm going to break through for people's miracles. And I began to do it. People with headaches started recovering. People with backaches started recovering. People who had arthritis started to recover. Then it trickled in. People with diabetes got healed of diabetes. Then I started praying for people with deaf ears on the street and their ears began to pop open. People who couldn't see because they had cataracts, their eyes began to open. People in wheelchairs who'd been crippled from birth started popping out of them. People with terminal cancer oh. in Tesco's had come and I'd pray for them and they got completely healed. They brought through the, the, the 
evidence that they'd got healed. And these are total strangers. These are unchurched Christians, uh, non-Christians coming and getting healed. And as a result of that healing, they got saved. Because many people ask me, shouldn't it be more important that you lead people to Christ? Yes, 100%. Salvation is the biggest miracle of them all. But listen, Jesus prayed for the sick. They recovered. Then they came to him. That's right. That's right. So I believe that sometimes there's got to be a preaching the gospel and leading people to Christ. But I like to follow Jesus's template, not men's template. Amen. So for anybody out there that criticizes the moving of God and the healing and says healing was for back then for the apostles and for Jesus, that's a lie from the devil. And you are stuck in religion and you need that religion broken just like I did. You know, I used to be the one who judged people who fall out under the spirit of God. I used to judge people who talked about miracles and signs and wonders and, and, and prophetic words because I, I was in religion because I couldn't see it. I thought everyone else couldn't see it and, and that they were just lying and making stuff up. But listen, just because you're not seeing it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be happening. It just means you're, you need to start pushing through to see miracles in your own life. Amen. So people are getting healed now, Iris. You know, I've gone from a wretched sinner and I'm still a wretched sinner today, but God, God took me out of the pit and stuck me on the right road, the, the narrow road. And, you know, sometimes even on the narrow road, we can wander off and we have to get back on it. I'm not perfect, but I'm an imperfect person being used by a perfect God to do supernatural things for him. And if you're listening to this recording right now, don't wait until you're perfect to start doing the miraculous, to start praying for the sticks, to start giving your testimony and preaching the gospel. Because I'll tell you, perfection will never, ever happen on this earth. We'll only become perfect in heaven. And in fact, in some sense, you're already perfect because you've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. That doesn't make you perfect. That just means Jesus has blotted out all of your sins and he's, he's put you in the Lamb's book of life. And the only way you can get to heaven is if you are a perfect soul. And the only way we get that perfect soul is by being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you is you'll never be in a position where you're totally perfect. You've just got to receive the blood of Jesus and realize he wants you to be an ambassador. In fact, God loves to use broken vessels. God use, likes to use your brokenness to reach other people. So sometimes you might be broken and struggling in this difficult season right now, just like the woman with the issue of blood. But that testimony can take you to, take you to a new level in the calling on your life. You know, the very things that I had wrong in my life are the very things I can repair. And many times I'll go to church and a lot of the people at the front are people giving their lives for the first time. But I also see a lot of religious men and women who've been sat in church for years, but not had a relationship with God coming and recommitting their life to Jesus. Why? Because I was religious and I can see religion from a mile off. And I want to help them people because Jesus helped me out of my religious mindset and into a glorious relationship with him. So you might be listening to this. You might be thinking, I've lost that passion. I've lost that fire. And something seems to be exciting me right now as I'm listening to you speaking, Luke and Iris. And it might be that you're just getting resurrected from the dead. The devil's lied to you for too long. Our ministry is called Ignite ministries because we love to ignite things that look dead but something i realized very early on in ministry 
if you, we've got a log burner in our house, we built our own house and we wanted a log burner in there. And I've found sometimes we let the fire go down and it's dwindled and it, it looks like it's out. And my wife will say, oh, Luke, it's still cold. Can you get the fire going again for me? And I'll say, yeah, watch this. And I'll go, Iris. And there's a little button you push in and it allows a bit of oxygen to come in. And this dead, these dead logs that look like they're not there, a little ember begins to glow. And then before you know it, within a minute or so, boom, there's an explosion of fire. And I want to tell you, you might look dead. You might look down and out in the Christian faith. But all it takes is a little bit of breath from God, a little bit of life being breathed into you. Just like, you know, the valley of the dry bones in Ezekiel, you know, can these bones live again? That's the question. Can these dry bones live again? Well, this is the answer. Yes, they can. And I know it's speaking about the Jewish people, but let's apply it to our life because we're adopted into that same family now. We're adopted into God's family. And I'm saying that the answer to can you live again is yes. Just let the Holy Spirit breathe into you like he breathed into me. And now, guys, I've gone from a wretched religious guy from a very small family-run church. Now we go around the, uh, the world. Even in lockdown, we've seen over a 1,000 people give their heart to Jesus over the uh, social media platforms. You can be used by God. I'm nothing special. And if God can use a Yorkshire lad who was rebellious like me, he can use any one of you who's listening to this right now. I want to encourage you. God wants to use you. It's the only way he does kingdom business. He chooses to put his supernatural power and surge it through our body. And that's why sometimes you do tremble and you shake when the Holy Spirit comes on you because it's a natural thing being connected with a supernatural thing. And people tell me, how can you shake? It's not it's not something God does. Well, read through the scriptures. Many of the priests were laid prostrate in front of God when the cloud descended on them. You know, I'm not going to get into any theology, theological debate on it, but if God wants to shake people, rattle them, throw them on the floor, or just wants them to cry like he did with me. I just cried for weeks after I got saved. If he just wants to make you cry or make you laugh, the joy came on me not long afterwards. And I just used to laugh in services because I was so hard inside God had to soften my heart when I remember the um, science lessons in chemistry Iris when they mixed one chemical with another chemical and there was explosions yeah yeah you wouldn't believe it unless you saw it so sometimes there's an explosion when the natural meets with the supernatural things of God there's an explosion of miracles there's an explosion yeah people might cry shake laugh whatever God wants to do but I want to tell you, don't get stuck up with the physical that's happening on you right now. Because, I, I, Iris, I'm just sensing in the in the spirit right now, there's people going to be listening to this. And, and the Holy Spirit's coming upon you right now. And you're shaking for the first time. Some of you are finding yourself crying. Some of you are just laughing uncontrollably, even right now. And that's the Holy Spirit. Some of you are going to begin to speak in tongues for the very first time. And I'll release the presence of God and the, the fire of God right now into your home through the radio waves right now in the name of Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, receive your healing right now in the name of Jesus. You know, God wants to use you. And that's just a short snippet of uh, my story. Um, 
and I hope to get my book out soon, Iris. My oh, wife's released okay. her book, um, and it's it's called Unbroken. My wife's and her testimony is powerful. She she um, uh, for, as a young child, they tried to um, someone tried to abduct her. A very um, guy who was on the news and everything around the time when it happened, and that sent her into a spiral of. Um, bad time she she got into a bad relationship an abusive relationship and god set her free and uh, she's released her book and um i want to release my book and it goes into more detail chapter by chapter all the cheeky stuff i used to get up to growing up but then how i got into the supernatural miracles and i've been very raw in the book and when it gets to the point of being able to release it people can read through it and it's an evangelistic tool you'll see all the mistakes i made and all the, the successes I've seen. We have to go right now, Luke. It's a shame. I mean, time has gone so fast. You know, I, I just got this feeling that God's going to send you back to us. And he wants you to use this channel. I just have that feeling. So you think about that and pray about it. But right now, we're going to say bye-bye to everybody. We've had a lovely time. Refreshing time. So keeping the faith everybody out there and if you need us for any reason or you just want to talk to us you know where to find us in fact my personal gmail is iriswhite48 at gmail.com and that is open to you to use